Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Good morning and happy Sabbath to all of you who are here. And uh, to those of you who are watching online, Welcome to the YouTube channel of the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're glad to have you worshiping with us today. And if you've been here last week, I hope that that practical step-by-step has helped you and given you some hope. Today will be a follow-up that will bring even more hope to the message that we bring about here. Uh, Friday nights, Pam, Adam, and myself, sometimes we get into talking after we have dinner and share stories, and I share with them stories of my childhood. I was brought up in Romania, and we have different cultural upbringing, and uh, I want to start up with a story this morning. It's a short illustration. I remember when I, uh, when I was a child, most of the summers I spent barefooted. Yeah, without shoes. No shoes. From the time we got out of school in June to the time we went back to school in middle of September, the time we had our feet in shoes was when we went to church or when we went shopping to the marketplace in the city. And uh, I remember feeling weird to wear shoes. <laughs> we got our feet got so much used to to walking outside barefooted, and uh, sometimes we will uh, we'll walk over in the woods and end up with a thorn in our feet. Or, or sometimes we'll walk over a piece of wood or plank or something of that nature, end up with a splinter. You know, that wasn't fun. That was painful and annoying to say the least. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 9, and you can open your Bibles with me and keep it there uh, for this message. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 9, I will be using New King James Version, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 9. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, Paul says in verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might be departed from me. And he said to me, God said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Paul says a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Have you ever had a thorn or a splinter in your foot or a, your hand? How was it? Annoying to say the least. In our spiritual journey, we also experience thorns. According to Paul and others who have gone through this, unlike our physical experience, there are benefits from having a thorn in the flesh experience. My sermon title today in this series, Free and Fruitful, is The Value of the Thorn. Let us pray. Lord, we open your word today and we ask that you guide my words and my thoughts. And I pray that these words will be your words to touch our hearts and to bring us hope. To change our perspective the way we look at things. Because I believe as you have inspired me to study your word to change the perspective we used to look at this Bible verse. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us a practical application we can take with us as we live this service today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome back to our third sermon in the series free and fruitful. Last year, I was, uh, I was introduced to the importance and the role of the Holy Spirit in my Christian walk, uh, in my Christian life. Uh, but it is really Jesus who introduced the Holy Spirit to His disciples 2,000 years ago, just before he left the earth. He was about to go back to his father after fulfilling his mission. He promised his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. John 14, 18. And that promise pleased his disciples. His Grieving disciples, I should say. Yes, they were beginning to grieve their relationship with Jesus as they knew it, as they had it. Because he told them that he is about to live, he's about to depart for heaven. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a few minutes. Think about this. Can you imagine this? They woke up with Jesus and had breakfast with Jesus. What would I do? What would you do? What would you give? What would I give to have breakfast with Jesus one morning? Right? Guess what? They had breakfast with Jesus three and a half years. Start the day with Jesus, then have a chat or devotion with Jesus, and later have lunch with Jesus. 
supper with Jesus and went to bed at night in the same room with Jesus or under the same roof with Jesus. They saw Jesus teaching and preaching. They went to church with Jesus. They saw Jesus healing. They saw Jesus casting out devils, liberating people from their spiritual and physical oppressions. And they even saw Jesus resurrecting, bringing Lazarus, their friend, bringing him back from death to life. Of course, they were going to miss Jesus. Without Jesus, they felt like orphans. And Jesus promises them, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, John 14, 18. But how, Jesus? You're going to leave. How are you going to come to us? And Jesus even goes on to promise that I'm, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Well, how are you going to be with all of us to the end of the world? How is that going to happen, Jesus? And Jesus answers, John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. Who is this helper? Who is this comforter? Verse 17, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. And a few weeks passed. They saw Jesus, their master. They saw him being bitten and crucified. They saw him dead on the cross. Their hopes crashed by his crucifixion. But their hopes sprang up again after they saw him alive. And as he spends his last few minutes on earth with them, Dr. Luke records this in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard me. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And sure enough, on the day of the Pentecost, the disciples were praying together to receive the Comforter, to receive the Helper, to receive the Holy Spirit, and it happened. The story is recorded in Acts, verses 1 to 4. Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. Acts 2, beginning with verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I preached that sermon, I think back in September, October, united in prayer. 
They were united in one purpose in prayer. They were not just coming together to pray about various things. No, they were united in prayer. They were together to pray for one thing and one only. And that was, we need the promise of the Father. We need the Comforter. We need the Holy Spirit. And as they were praying, as they were with one accord in one place, verse 2, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven, as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat on each of them. And Luke records verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We also call this spiritual experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In feeling, because we understand this experience to be an experience of total surrender, emptying ourselves of self, and asking God to literally fill us completely, just as you would empty a cup. Imagine a cup. And you have some unwanted fluid in it. <laughs> unwanted drink. And you, you empty it to fill it back up with a good and tasty drink. Empty the bad stuff and fill it up all the way with the good one. That's the experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit because in his day, the baptism experience symbolized, just as symbolizes today, the dying of oneself, the dying of the old self, getting to the water, immersed, and coming out brand new spiritually as a new creation in Christ. So the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are two terms referring to the same thing. And I use them interchangeably in my sermons. Pastor Dennis Smith, who's been my inspiration through this, does the same thing in his books. In fact, he says in the, the the book, Ten Days of Prayers and Devotion for the Baptism of the Holy Spirit, in page 11, he says, Understanding and experiencing the infilling of the Holy Spirit is second in importance only to understanding and accepting Christ as our Savior. Think about this for a moment. Infilling of the Holy Spirit is only second to Accepting Christ as your Savior. Now, what he really presents in this statement is the concepts of the concept of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is double-folded, if you will, or you can call this, you, can, you may say that there are two works of the Holy Spirit in one's life. The first work is to convict and convert our hearts to lead us to accept Jesus as personal Savior, to get baptized in the water, the water baptism, the baptism of repentance. That's the first work of the Spirit. And most Christians accept that. I do accept that. I know you do. Most of us here are baptized Christians or on their way of getting baptized because we accepted Jesus as our Savior. That's the first work of the Holy Spirit, to get us to come to Jesus. The second work of the Spirit is to fill us so we can truly live the Christian life and do the works of God. And this is what we've been studying, the infilling of or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what we've been exploring and practicing here at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church since last summer, the daily baptism, daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. I know it changed my life, my ministry, and the way God works through me and in me. I will practice this for the rest of my life. We just started, by the way, we just started a small group on the baptism of the Holy Spirit last week, and I'm so excited for them. I'm so glad they chose to begin to practice a daily infilling of the Holy Spirit because God will literally remodel their lives. We will have another group start in the fall and we will continue to present this opportunity to our church and our community every year. At the beginning of this year, about two, two Sabbaths ago, I began preaching a sermon series called Free and Fruitful, which goes deeper in our understanding of the role as the Holy Spirit or and the function of the Holy Spirit into the life of the Christian. And as we came to understand that as the Holy Spirit fills you and me, it is Jesus now living his life in us and through us, and this is why we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you are filled with the Spirit of the Lord, it is Jesus producing this fruit in your life. Because you abide in Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's all this series is all about, abiding in Christ. Two weeks ago, when I started this, we learned that every Christian has a struggle. We learned that the power of our sinful nature is so strong that it is impossible for us to become free from its control by our own efforts. And we also learn the mistake we all made when we became Christians. We thought we know how to live and sincerely began to make efforts to live a godly life. 
The only problem was that we asked God to add to our efforts. And you may say, Pastor Marius, what's wrong with that? What was wrong is that we were not letting Jesus live out his life in us, through us, by the Holy Spirit. We saw Jesus as a separate entity living somewhere close to us, near us, ready to help, ready to give us, to add us, to add to our efforts. But he was not in us. And we didn't give him the liberty to live his life in us and through us. And even when we asked Jesus to add to our efforts, we still failed because it was us doing the work and not Jesus. Pastor Dennis Smith writes about Christian experience, trying to, uh, Christians trying to work their sanctification. And he goes like this. He says, because of their sinful nature's power, these efforts ultimately fail. As a result, they become discouraged, frustrated, bewildered, and even question themselves if they are really a Christian. Have you had that experience? I know I did. Now, last week, we learned that the power of the sinful nature was broken at the cross, and that changes everything in how we deal with thorns in our life. Here's what we learned. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The victory takes place from glory to glory. A step-by-step application, not by our own self-will, not by our own efforts, but by the Spirit of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And here is what we learned last week. Whenever the temptation comes... Whenever your thorns begin to annoy you, whenever the thorn in your flesh shows its ugly head, here is what you do. When you become of that temptation to sin, choose to turn your mind immediately away from it. Now, as I said last sermon, you will not be able to proceed with this if you are not already surrendered and asked to be filled with the Spirit as soon as you roll out of bed in the morning. You need to be surrendered and you need to have asked the Holy Spirit to live in you first thing in the morning. That's what you need to do. Otherwise, this first step will not even happen. I'm just telling you from experience. This is real, my friends. This is a study of how we can become holy in the presence of a holy God. 
You need to be surrendered and have asked the Holy Spirit to live in you first thing in the morning. And another thing you must do in order for that to happen, for your mind to go away, is to remove yourself from the environment. See, you can't have the thorn of alcoholism and say, I turn my mind away from the drink while sitting at the bar. Right? So if you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will lead you to step away from the situation immediately and then choose to turn your mind away from temptation. And how you do it, you say a Bible verse. You say a short prayer. And if temptation persists, you call someone. Then believe that your sinful nature's attraction to that temptation is broken at the cross. And we'll talk about this in two weeks when we're going to have communion. The double victory on the cross. Then believe Jesus is in you and lives through you at that very moment through the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to manifest His virtue in you in relation to that temptation. Believe that He will manifest Himself in you. Rest in that belief and don't fight the temptation. See, when we fight the temptation, we actually are focusing on it. The devil wants us to. Don't fight the temptation. Just thank Jesus for the deliverance he has just given you. Choose and believe. Choose and believe. Those who were here last week or listened to the sermon last week, I want to ask you frankly, what was your experience this past week? How did you fare in your dealing with temptation? Now, if you were like me, you may have come to this realization. Even though you are dealing with your Christian life properly, right? Temptations and trials still come your way. And certainly, that thorn in the flesh keeps annoying you. It keeps annoying you. What is the problem with that? Is that a negative or is that a positive thing for your Christian experience? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might, be, it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in witness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. If you ever had a thorn or a splinter in your foot or your hand, you know that that's not a pleasant experience. 
It is painful and it is annoying. In our spiritual journey, in our life, many things can be thorns in the flesh. Paul prayed for God to remove his thorn, whatever that was. And if you look at commentaries, there are all kinds of speculations. Whatever that was, God said, no. Why? God's grace was all Paul needed in order to deal with the thorn. And, and listen to this. When God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness, God gave us, through that statement, God gave us an important truth to the reality of our spiritual experience. The weaker we know ourselves to be, and the sooner we stop trying to exert our puny strength to overcome a thorny temptation, the sooner we will begin experiencing God's mighty power in our lives. In other words, the sooner we stop doing our own thing and ask God to add His power, the better off we are. Our own effort to overcome a temptation actually gets in the way of God's power to deliver. See, when we do that, we're looking to our strength and ability to overcome, even though we think we're also depending on God to help us. My friends, God wants to do more than just to help us. He is the victory. Christ living in us is our deliverance from our temptations. When we back away from such efforts and get ourselves out of the way, then Christ can begin manifesting himself in and through us. You have probably heard this saying, let go and let God. This is what it means. Let go of yourself. Surrender your efforts and your thorn. And let Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, live his life in you. And he will be victorious in you. It won't be you getting the victory. It, the credit goes all to Christ, to Jesus. I want to read you a quote from the book, Lessons on Faith, by E.G. Wagner. E.G. Wagner was one of the early pioneers, Adventist pioneers. And he wrote this back in late 1800s. He said this, We have heard many people tell how hard they found it to do right. Their Christian life was most unsatisfactory to them, being marked only by failure. And they were tempted to give up in discouragement. No wonder they get discouraged. Continual failure is enough to discourage anybody, he says. The bravest soldier in the world will become faint-hearted if he had been defeated in every battle. Sometimes these persons will mournfully tell that they have lost confidence in themselves. And Wagner continues, Poor soul, if they would only lose confidence in themselves entirely and would put their whole, 
hold trust in the one who is mighty to save, they would have a different story to tell. They would then joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The man or woman who doesn't rejoice in God, even though tempted and afflicted, Wagner says, is not fighting the good fight of faith. Wagner says they are fighting the poor fight of self-confidence and defeat. So the conclusion is, yes, lose confidence in yourself. And yes, put your whole trust in Jesus. This is why the Lord will leave some thorns of temptation in your life, in my life. I'm sure you've prayed for God to remove these thorns. They have brought such annoyance, frustration, defeat, and discouragement in your life. However, God leaves them there because He wants you to learn the lesson that His strength is made perfect in your weakness. When you begin to experience deliverance in you, then you will be like Paul, taking pleasure in your infirmities and your weaknesses, because it is not you obtaining the victory, but Christ. And that becomes valuable for your Christian experience. Somebody says it becomes your pearls. You know how pearls are formed? They are really the product of a thorn in the flesh experience. You know, a little grain of sand enters the oyster shell and begins to irritate the mollusk. Every time it buffets the creature, it is covered with a layer of fluid that stops the irritation. Then the irritant annoys the mollusk again, and it is covered again with a fluid coat that stops the irritation. The process is repeated for the life of the mollusk until the end when it dies. And that irritation, that thing becomes a precious natural pearl. The thorn in the flesh in our life is not the sin in our life. No. The thorn in the flesh, many people believe this, that the thorn in the flesh must be a sin. It's not the sin in your life, in my life. It is the temptation. It is the inclination we might have, the propensity we might have toward a particular sin, but it's not the sin itself. See, every time that thorn buffets us, every time that temptation irritates our Christian life, we let Jesus, who is in us through the Holy Spirit, to cover it with his victory he obtained on the cross. See, God leaves the thorn there because as we become victorious through Christ towards sin, whatever they may be, it may be alcohol, anger, sex, drugs, whatever, 
anything that could cause us to sin and be separated from God, when Christ lives in us and we obtain victory over it over and over again, it becomes our pearl. It becomes the value of our victory through Christ. I met people, real people, here in this town who have overcome the power of alcohol, tobacco, sex, drugs and in their life. And they give glory only to God for it. For they have a testimony that helps others and encourages others too. Pastor Dennis Smith, in his book, Spirit Baptism and the 88 Message of Righteousness by Faith, he has a section subtitled, Thank You for the Thorns. I thought that was interesting, and I read it. In this section, he writes this. You will come to the point that you actually thank God for the thorns in your life. Why? It is because of them that you experience the amazing delivering power of Christ. Because of them, Christ has become ever more precious to you. You have found Him giving you ever-present victories over your temptations, and praises of Him fills your heart. Wow. My friends, it is because of the thorn in your flesh that you have come to know and to taste the sweet aroma, the sweet taste of God's grace in your life. And it is because of the thorn in your flesh that you have come to experience the victories that only Christ can obtain for you when He lives in you through the Holy Spirit. You rejoice in your thorns because they are opportunities for God's glory to shine through you as Christ manifests His righteous life in and through you. They are opportunities for you to become more and more like Christ in those areas of your life as He manifests Himself in those areas of your life. My challenge to you today as we end this service, is to change the way you look and you've been looking at the thorn in your flesh. Rather than seeing it as a problem, look at it as an opportunity for Christ to fully manifest in your life and let that become the most valuable Christian experience for you. When God uses that thorn to grow you, to make you stronger, to make you better, because you let Christ live in you, that's the value of your thorn. May God bless you all. Amen. Amen.